Hello, beautiful human. Thanks for giving us a click of your time and checking out our conversation with one of my favorite humans and artists, Jeremy Zucker. I have a deep appreciation for him and for his art. I love Love Is Not Dying, his latest album that deserves your ear. There's a link in the bio if you haven't listened to it yet. Also, Supercuts, his latest single. Let's talk about all of it in the Zoom room right now. I believe Jeremy Zucker's here. Let's do this. Dan's here. Jeremy Zucker's here. I'm pumped to talk to you, man. There's a lot to discuss. There is. A lot has happened since the last time we talked, for sure. Uh, your debut album. Yes. And you're tweeting about wanting to release even more music after releasing a single the other day. Yeah, I was manically tweeting a couple nights ago. <laughs> is it manic or is that like your true feelings? No, that's my true feelings. Um, I mean, it was it, it was manic in the sense of like, I, I don't know. I just got like really, really excited in that moment for some reason. Um, I've been working on like a lot of little things for a really long time. And it can be like really overwhelming to the point where like I'm not super excited about it. And then every once in a while I like get to take a step back and be like, damn, this music's actually really, really sick. And then I get really excited. What part of the process is overwhelming? What part stresses you out? Um, for me, it's like, I think it's the production because, and, and for those people that don't know like what production is, it's really just like making all the instrumentation and the music behind the music and I do all that myself most of the time um so it becomes it's it's a lot of like stress on me I think because I'm not like I don't know I'm not like a like a classically trained musician I'm not like very very good at any one instrument I'm just like passable on a lot on a bunch of instruments so I'm like in my studio playing all these instruments and that's like one part of the stress is like not being good enough at the physical skill because what I feel like I'm really good at is like writing parts and um, like arranging it and like putting together a vibe, you know? By the way, that was the, one of the biggest things that I realized on Love Is Not Dying is that you wrote a lot of the records 100% on your own, or mm -hmm. at least that's what was reflected in the credits. Um, mm -hmm. Because producing stresses you out and maybe that's not your strength, why I, I mean you you do seek outside help super cuts mm -hmm. you worked with a guy out of sweden yeah so it's interesting it's like it's something that I, that i get really really excited about sometimes and other times i'm like i'm like really not that good at producing but then it's weird it's like one of those things that i feel like i can't control and and i think that's what stresses me out is that sometimes I can produce a great record and it's so easy and it comes so naturally. And I open this new instrument and I'm like, Oh my God, like this sound. And then I'm going to tweak it this way. And it's going to work perfectly and fits the vibe. And then other times I'm like, I have the song. I just don't know how to make it sound in a way that that's natural. And I slow, I think I've slowly started to realize, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is like, I, I think like that's my, my weakness is not being able to like knowingly produce, like not being able to consciously be like, I'm going to fit this in in this place for this reason. And like, I just know that that's my weakness. And 
for so long, I feel like I've been sort of running away from it or like working off of my strengths to sort of compensate for that weakness. And I have recently decided that I'm going to tackle it head on and like really just like try to get better at like these very nuanced aspects of producing. How do you learn? How do you pick up something like that? Is it by watching other people? Um, I'm sure a lot of people learn that way, but I'm like completely self-taught with everything. I never really had a mentor, um, which I sort of wish that I did, but it's taught me like a lot of resilience, I think, in making music. But my plan is to just like not be afraid of trying out specific like new things. I don't know. Like I just brought a drum set into my studio and I'm like buying a bunch of instruments and just like, yeah. Going. Is it, is it hard for you to convey what you want to a producer and for them to really get it right? Um, yeah, I think because a lot of the times I don't know exactly what I want. And that's why I, I really do like having complete control over my stuff because I get to try a million things out without pissing anyone off. <laughs> Are you afraid if like, like, like Supercuts, for instance, I mean, how did, how did that record come to be? Do you write the record and then ship it off? Or do you sit there with a guy, try a trillion different things, and then like by looking at his face and the tone of his voice, you can see that he's really fucking annoyed with you? <laughs> no, so that was a, a totally different sort of process. And it was one that like shaped, shaped out to be really cool in the sense of like how it came together. So I was in, I was in Europe doing a couple festivals last summer. Um, and I got an invite to come out to Max Martin's camp in Sweden, where it's basically just like a building and a bunch of producers and a bunch of studios, and they're all just working and collaborating and, and like doing cool stuff. And they're all just like top-notch songwriters and producers. And so I went there for a week and I just did like five or six days of sessions with a couple of different, a couple of their different writers and producers and Supercuts came about when I was working with this uh, songwriter, James Allen, um, and I had wrote Not Your Friend with him previously during a trip to LA with their LA-based camp. Um, and so this was my like second long stint of working with him, and he's just a really awesome writer and really fun to collaborate with him. Um, and then we were in with this producer, Alof, um, who it was, I think it was my first or second session with him ever, and we are just like coming up with all sorts of stuff and then Supercuts, like the idea sort of came up with just me and james jamming on the guitar and then we just started laying stuff down and going back and forth and by the end of the day we had like an almost fully produced version of the song and i sort of sat with that song for like six months and it was it was this honestly this love-hate relationship like some like my manager would be like dude this song is so awesome my anr would be like dude this song is so awesome and then I'd show it to my friends and they'd be like, yeah, this doesn't like sound like you. And I would listen to it on my own and be like, damn, this song is so good, but like, it doesn't feel like me. And I kept having this like thing in my mind where I was like, why? Like I only, I know what my music is supposed to sound like. And I was like, I don't want to put something out that doesn't feel like me. And so I was like sort of having this like crisis about the song for a little bit. And, but I, but it was annoying because I knew how good the song was, you know? What about the record didn't feel like you when you were asking your friends for specifics? Because if a friend of mine is going to make a, a claim like that, you better come to the table with effing receipts. You know what I mean? Like, I want clear proof because 
I think the song is a total evolution of your entire sound and who you are and your vocals shine really bright. It's catchy as f- the production just hooks you and the lyrics are great. It's an amazing story and everybody knows Supercuts. So m- m- surprised that you'd even get your hair cut there. I don't even know if it's true. <laughs> when i was younger i did but no so i that's not like where the story ends up so um i had this demo version of the record that was like the version that we finished that day at the studio and it like definitely wasn't an an unfinished version um and so that was part of it not feeling like me and another part was like i need i needed to sound the version that we had was like very like crunchy and like it was it's really hard to describe like it was just I just hadn't had my hadn't been able to like put my hands on it production wise. So okay. what we ended up doing was I I actually made like a completely differently produced version of the song um, where it was like way more acoustic and open and sort of indie feeling, but it didn't punch as hard as the original. And what we ended up doing was sort of making like a Frankenstein version of the two versions and so it took like my favorite parts about the the version that Alaf produced and my favorite parts that I added when I tr- tried to make my own version Whoa. and we just made this this supercuts baby that turned out to be this song that I loved and then like I completely forgot that I was even having this crisis about the song in the first place cuz all of a sudden it felt like me does this not scream like model for you moving forward like this concept of you know, having essentially two versions of a record and then having them merge into one. Yeah, that could definitely work. It was definitely a lot of fun. Um, sessions are, I, like, it's hard to do sessions now though, because you can't really like, I can't like fly to LA and meet with a bunch of producers, you know? What, what do you want? You, you need, like, what do you thrive off of when you're in a studio? It's weird because there are two completely different sides to it. One is if I'm like in a session, I have to like be really connecting with the people in the session and we have to be on the same sort of wavelength and vibe. And it's a lot of fun. Like I get very, I get like a lot of energy from being in like a songwriting session and it just makes me really happy to be there. But conversely, I don't always feel like I can open up and be vulnerable, um, whether it's lyrically. And I also don't feel like I can be as experimental and as trying new things as I want to. Honestly, out of a fear of like, Piss, not pissing them off but like I think I'm too nice like I don't want to waste somebody's time and this is the reason why I don't do a lot of sessions in the first place it's like or this is why I don't really do sessions where like I'm the main producer because I don't want to be sitting there in front of my desk and my computer editing this little tiny thing that's pissing me off but no one else is noticing and I've just wasted 20 minutes of their time because I wanted to get this little thing exactly perfect so we can move on to the next thing. But it matters. So like, <laughs> it, it really does at the end of the day. So yeah. how do you, obviously you don't want to work with somebody who feels like they need to leave a session with a finished song at the end of the session. That That's another thing is like a lot of writers and I don't really like to work. I don't work with writers that think this way, but like when I, when I do sessions with new people, um writers like really really want to leave the session with the song finished even if that song is the best song that could be written in that session you know the way i like to do sessions is like we start an idea if i'm not feeling it in 5 10 15 minutes i'll be the first one to be like let's scratch this and move to the next idea 
And if we get through four, five, six ideas that are all scratched and we're all exhausted, then we just call it early, you know, because I just don't think you can force an amazing song. So naturally, you know, the team around you that works and you have, I, I guess, like, what are you sitting on now in terms of new music? Are they like, like, like just different scattered lyrics? Are they parts of songs, halves? Like, what is it? Um, everything I'm working on doesn't, came from like just me i don't really like i don't think any of it really maybe one or two things came from sessions but there's like i have one song that's like fully fleshed out that i'm really in love with and i have like these three or four half songs that sort of exist in their own space and i'm trying to figure out like how like where they will live and like how i'm going to finish them and then i just have like 10 or 15 just like really awesome like snippets of songs that are written it but like not totally produced out so will you bring them to sessions will you finish them on your own i mean will you save them will you send them to somebody um i think i have like a certain amount of work to do before i decide whether or not i want to send them out um because like i said i don't want to i do feel like finishing like this next step with all of these demos is my weakness. So I need to like really try to figure out how I can do it on my own, if that makes sense. Zach Sancho. I'm sorry. I got to pause our conversation with Jeremy Zucker to tell you about my favorite deodorant, Native. I'm obsessed. It doesn't just block odor better. It's made better. Native has only ingredients that you've heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, hmm tapioca starch it's also vegan and never tested on animals if you choose to make the switch to native you'd be making the switch to an aluminum free deodorant which doesn't mean you have to sacrifice odor protection okay native's gonna keep you smelling fresh and feeling fresh all day long they got over 10 cents including a rotating seasonal lineup native has something really for everybody some of their most popular scents include coconut and vanilla (gasps) My fave, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint. But really, I am a coconut and vanilla guy. I don't know. It's just like, it's really soft. It also makes me feel tropical. I don't really go to the beach much. But coconut and vanilla makes me feel like there's a beach breeze. Oh, and Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the United States, plus free 30-day returns. So you can test it out, try it out. If you don't like it, return it. But seriously, a lot of people love Native, more than just me. There's over 14,000 five-star reviews on Native products. So why wouldn't you try? I'm going to make you making the switch to Native easy. I'm going to give you a promo code. Come on, if you want 20% off your first checkout, just go to nativedo.com slash Zach or use the promo code Zach, Z-A-C-H, at checkout. You're going to get 20% off your first order. nativedo.com. Slash Zach. Smell great, feel great. Native is my favorite. Okay, back to Jeremy Zucker. Zach Sang Show. What do you learn from creating Love Is Not Dying that should help you in the creation of these records moving forward? I mean, that's a really interesting question because Love Is Not Dying sort of came about over a year and every song... I'm going to say that, I'm gonna say this and it's going to sound weird, but like... I don't think that there was a song on love on on love is not dying that like truly challenged me in terms of like being stuck and working through it. 
like every song on that record came very naturally and I worked really really hard to make sure that every song came naturally in the sense that like if a song wasn't working out I would scrap it and I'd start a new one and I would keep going until I found one that came to me very naturally and that's why the record took so long to make and that's why yeah I don't know and and I think that's why like a lot of the songs are sort of like typical in my lane with the exception of like a few parts in a few songs. So when a song comes easy or natural to you, what does that tell you that it's a story that's meant to be told? There's two sides to it. Um, It's like, if it comes really naturally and easy to me, yeah, it feels like it was meant to be told and feels like it was meant to sound that way and it almost sometimes feels like it was given to me like I didn't consciously come up with it um and then another part is like who gave it to you (laughs) I don't mean like a like a higher power or something but I I don't know when I think of like songwriting and just creativity in general like at least in my personal experience my best things like i like i don't know where they come from obviously i'm coming up with them but like it's not conscious i'm not like okay this word and then this word and this word and this melody and it goes to here and then to here and to there like like i have those thought processes but not when like i spontaneously come up with music which like weirdly just happens and a lot of times it's like if i'm playing an instrument it's like my hands are doing it before my brain realizes what i'm doing and then like I'm reacting to what I'm playing without even consciously playing it. And that happens with like lyrics and with producing and accidentally dragging things into a certain place. And it sounds like awesome. Accidentally hitting a button. Like (laughs) I feel like my best stuff, like honestly comes by accident. And I think that the true talent and the true skill is recognizing what's special. And I, I always say like the best producers are the best listeners are you ever afraid that you've let go of something that could have been amazing, but it just didn't get that extra minute or that extra, whatever it may be? Um, no, because unless like I lose the project file, which has happened a couple of times, Ooh. but um, no, because I can always come back to it and work on it. Lake house. Great record. So f-ing good. Um, like, do you have a lake house? I do not have a lake house, but that but- was about, this girl that I was seeing that has a lake house. And clearly you'd go there and be some form of abuse because you'd be pointing out your vices and it would be putting you in a crisis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was, um, that one was interesting because like it was, I, it, I didn't go. I mean, that's like the chorus, like I won't go. Um, but it was about sort of uh, like being in this relationship that I wasn't a hundred percent engaged in um but like she kept talking about this lake house and she's like we should go we should go it'll be so fun it'll be so relaxing and i'm like damn i could really use vacation like i could really (laughs) like i would love to go to the lake house and then i'm reminded of everything that sort of doesn't feel right with this person and and comes with the lake house yeah and it comes with yeah it comes with the lake house and i was just like it just felt dishonest and I like my my ethics wouldn't allow me to like go to the lake house knowing that she's really into me and I'm not really like feeling it, 
you know. Wow. Dan so. would have gone to the lake house. Yeah. I like lake houses. She has jet skis. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were jet skis. I've never been on a jet ski. I'm, I've been trying to for so long. I, you look like you'd be someone who belongs on a jet ski. I feel like you'd naturally like a glove fit on a jet ski. That's, I've never heard that before, but I'll take it as a compliment. It, I, I think it is. I mean, come on. Jet skis are a, a great mode of transportation. So <laughs> how soon after you deny the Lake House invitation do you write that record? Well, I, didn't, I wasn't ever like, no, I'm not going. It was more like I sort of ended it before that could happen. Um, but let's see. I don't want to like – I probably wrote the song – like six months after it happened, you know. Do you like write down in your notes Lake House, or do you just sit down one day and you're 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 thinking about what could have been FOMO like, of the Lake House? Like I said, the the conception to a lot of my music is so unconscious, and so for that song, for example, had a really interesting story to the way that it started. I was in my old studio, which was like half the size of my bedroom, which is like not that big. But um, I was just, I had my creative director at the time in the room, we were just like talking and planning some stuff out. And I was sitting on the ground with a mandolin that I stole from Chelsea Cutler after we did Brent. Um, I, I took it back to my studio to like finish the record and I was recording songs with her mandolin and I just never gave it back to her. But I gave her my ukulele as collateral um Fair so, and she got a new mandolin so we're even but anyways um i was just sitting there like playing it and just like the way the mandolin sounds like when you hit all the strings open i think it's tuned like a violin but it's but i'm like my main instrument is guitar and the tuning is totally different and so just hearing all of those notes together was just really like inspiring and beautiful and i was having this conversation with my creative director and just like sort of fiddling around on it. And then all of a sudden I came up with the riff that starts the song and, or like half of the riff. And I pull out my phone and record a voice memo while like without her paying attention because she's just like talking. And I end up like recording like the idea during the conversation, stopping the voice memo and like hiding it all. So she doesn't even know that I, that I was doing it cause I didn't want to be rude. And then she left like a half an hour later and I pulled it into a project and then recorded a couple more layers of mandolin, mandolin on top of the original voice memo. And then that was like the foundation for the production of the song. And then I just literally started writing chronologically. I was like, nothing's that bad. We could go soon as your parents get back. But I've been a wreck. A lake in the mountains could help me reset. And I was like, word, I know exactly what I'm writing about. And then the song came together. <laughs> That's wild. I feel like that was a story that needed to be told. Like there's been, there's been it's, it's somewhere deep within you. You've been thinking about that lake house and what, what could have been. That's what happens. Like all these things happen to me. And then this, like it all just stays bottled up, bottled up until I can like express it in a song. And sometimes it doesn't happen for like six months, a year later. You yeah. Know? The time needs to be right. Like it's not planned really. Exactly. I'm not sitting there like, Oh, I just, how to break up like I need to write about this you know it's not like that for me <laughs> it's like I feel being weird what's going on like why am I feeling this way or I'll be like what's interesting in my life you know it's never like that conscious I don't know weird. what are you thinking Daniel 
Why'd you name Supercuts Supercuts instead of something like Well All Right? <laughs> um, well, I was like sort of mad at the Well All Right line. Um, like we, I just like couldn't think of anything else to fill that space, and Well All Right sounded so right, and it was, I was literally just like, Well All Right, we'll use that <laughs> word, you know. But um, I mean, we we called it Supercuts because that was like the most to me, that was like the funniest part of the song, you know, because I, you know, I probably went to Supercuts like a, once or twice in middle school um, or Great Clips, like one of those type, type of places. And I don't know, it, like it was just such a, it just like to me defines everything that's like mediocre about living in the suburbs. <laughs> totally. So, Supercuts just, yeah. <laughs> And obviously, like, it is remotely reflective of your reality, right? And the, it, the way I, I looked at it, and I listened to it for the first time pretty deeply um, in L.A., and then I've been listening to it while I've been home in New Jersey, um, just experiencing the hometown. It's really about the fear of dating somebody in your hometown because you don't want to break their heart, and it will spread, you know? It's never mm-hmm. just between you and that person. It's between you, that person, their family, and half the town, and – it right. will follow you and people will look at you differently, especially when your town is only like, you know, I, I'm close to where you grew up. My town's like only 20,000 people. Totally. 20,000. I mean, I say that like, I'm like some. Not so, I feel like it's a small town size, right? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's only a single arena, if that makes any sense. Only an arena filled with people. But they are spread out throughout a town. Yeah, yeah. Were you surprised that Well All Right is such like a popular part of the song now? You see a lot of the fans commenting and talking about it, but for you it was like hard to get to that point? Um, I was looking at it from a very like logical songwriting perspective. I knew that the part, like the melody, Well All Right, and then like the last chorus is when it's like, Well All Right. Like I knew that when I was doing that, that it, that it worked. But initially I was like, I just have this thing against filler lyrics. Like, I feel like every every lyric should be like pushing the song in a direction or should be interesting or should sound really interesting. And I was just looking at Well All Right and I was like, this is like basic, but we just sort of kept it. And yeah, it worked. Did you fight to take it out? Did somebody, was somebody like, no, this should stay? And you were like, get it out? No, so I'm, I'm like really open-minded when it comes to lyrics because I just like different and weird things, but with well, all right, like nothing's wrong with it, you know? So I was, I wasn't, I didn't take that perspective. I was literally just like, I think we can beat this. Let's see if we can. And then we couldn't. So now that people are gravitating to it, are you, are you happy with it? Are you still considering it filler? Are you like happy with what you did? No, I'm definitely happy with it. Like I was feeling like it was a filler when we first wrote it. And then when the, the more I sang it during the writing process, I just sort of stopped thinking about it because it felt so natural. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but like Supercuts kind of defied a lot of what you used to do when it, can't, when it came to writing music. Is that right? Um, a lot of molds you broke. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of that is like in the, in the production. Well, yeah. It, yeah, it is a very different song, but... But it's also still you because, like, did Well All Right stay in your version of the record? 
yeah so so the lyrics and like the the melody were exactly the same i just sort of re-recorded it and like performed it a little better um the stuff that changed so like if you if you listen to the first 30 seconds of the song with just the acoustic guitar the drums and the bass and my vocals like that's sort of how the whole song was was panned out and so when you know the first chorus sort of stays that way and then the second verse and then the whole rest of the song with like the big instrumentation and like the acoustic guitar um and the sort of like shakers and stuff like that is everything that i added to make it feel more like acoustic and indie and we put in this like really beautiful piano that like makes it a little moody um those are the parts that like made it sound like me it's i don't know it's like a it's like this beautiful meshing of energies it just i don't know it hits it hits right um can you actually explain like the main story about this were you going through like what were you going through when you wrote this um i wasn't really it wasn't again it wasn't like a conscious i'm feeling this way i'm gonna write about this a lot of it was like we were in the session and we started writing the chorus chronologically it was like because i don't want to be someone that makes you happy then lets you down we'll both feel crappy i'll hate your friends when they Ends. that was like how the song started and I just relate to that on so many levels and have for a long time because I've always it's honestly it's just really hard for me to like um I'm just like really picky when it comes to like having feelings for somebody not that I can control it but like I feel like I let I let people down like if I'm if I'm sort of falling into a relationship I've felt like I've let people down, even though I know it's not my fault that I like don't have reciprocal feelings, but it was just sort of this realization, like maybe if I just stop going down that road for a while, I'll stop letting people down, <laughs> you know? But it's, and, uh, it's yeah. not a you problem, you know? You, you can't stop attempting to find the right person yeah. in fear of them not being right and then you having to tell them that they're not right. Yeah, I know. I've I've worked past it. I'm beyond it, but it was for sure a realization when I wrote it a year ago. Um, yeah. Do you? I mean, does this song help you at all? Move past it. It does. It, it makes just in general with writing music. Like whenever I write about something deep or heavy or something that I'm just really really experiencing that was difficult, a lot of times it like illuminates it and helps me like point at it and notice it and pay attention to it more. And just that action, I think, makes it lighter. Um, and also just like the emotional release of, of having it in a song definitely like lifts the burden. And it's something you've probably had bottled up for a while. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And you got to hear it over and over again. It's a constant <laughs> reminder. <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> Was the was the plan to release music this quickly after the album or did this whole pandemic change up summer plans and what's going on? Um, we had we, we were planning to put this out shortly after the album to sort of just let people know that I'm not just going to put an album and go quiet <laughs> for like a year. Um, yeah, the pandemic was an, a very interesting um, variable in the situation. I think we probably would have put it out early, earlier 
Um, and also like we really wanted to be summer song and, and this wasn't a summer where people were like out and having fun and chilling, obviously. No, there's, um, there's no like top down, going to the Jersey shore, yeah. pump the radio, wah wah. So it sort of became like an, wah wah. <laughs> it sort of became like a, like an anti-summer song because it just made you feel like you were having this amazing summer, even though maybe you weren't. <laughs> It, it, it makes me dance, dude. It makes me feel good, honestly. Well, well, at the same time, like, it's something I totally understand. I, I, I too, have a fear of letting somebody down, but nobody's really into me, so I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't, don't have that problem. Um, is Julia a real person? Yes. How does she feel about having a record named after her? Um, I told – I sent her the song, like – a month before it came out and i think her word for word part of her response was oh god you're t-swifting me (laughs) (laughs) how does that make you feel is that a compliment um well i didn't realize that like the like what most people would would think of when they think of like a song calling somebody out is like a a a taylor swift move like that just wasn't in my vocabulary yeah uh, better word for vocabulary yeah. vernacular <laughs> Thank you. vernacular it's a good one or syntax whoa that's a good one this is like um, middle school vocab so so you tay swifted this poor girl yeah um but i mean i don't know it was just i, I didn't think that i was gonna put a name into the song but it just worked way way too well and it was just so honest for me and i and you know she wasn't like angry about it and we had a little talk about it and had a bit of closure so that was good but i'm sure Lauf had a very similar answer about his song julia yeah that was weird like that we both put out a song called julia and they were like within a month of each other and it was completely random but different julia's Different Julia's, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, like, did you think about naming it something different? Um, no, because Julia rhymed with through with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Unless someone could have thought of an, another name that sounds better in the song. Uh, I'll get back to you. Uh, <laughs> it's just that her name was too easy. It's really her fault, I think, to be honest. It's her fault for being named Julia. Yeah, Pro- yeah and probably for breaking your heart. Um, uh, well. <laughs> uh, James Taylor sample is a big deal, right, on Omex? Yes. How that does that was even- a massive moment for me. Yeah, how the hell do you clear that? Like, what's good? Um, he's supposedly, like, really hard to get his mu- music sampled for clearing, but apparently he liked the song a lot. So he just song. it went through like that. I mean, that's like a rewarding moment, no? Yeah, it was really awesome. Because that that was a song that I heard a lot growing up um, when I was like eight or nine years old. That was like a really big summer song for me. And it was just a really wild moment. And I didn't think, I like usually really stay away from sampling and interpolating other people's music. I sort of started making music that way. um, But I realized if I wanted to release it, it would be like a really difficult and expensive process to like clear thing to clear things 
Um, What's the greater challenge, your own stuff or sampling on the reg? Um, I mean, it depends. I haven't like really tried to sample stuff in a long time, but in the beginning, it was a really, really nice way of like creating new inspiration. What I was saying before about like listening and and like the creation process not really being super conscious and deliberate, like sampling sort of does that. It's like you get a starting point and you can mess with it and experiment with it. And then that inspires a completely new thing. Um, totally. Yeah. So I don't really do that so much anymore. And um, with Omexico, I was like writing the song and I had the whole first verse and then I got to the chorus and I was like, just James Taylor's song Mexico was on my mind and I just started singing it and I was like, this kind of makes sense now. <laughs> I mean, when you go to your label and you're like, I, I think we need to try to sample this. Like, are you nervous to even go to them with, with something like that at first? Yes and no, because certain things are like impossible to clear and certain things are fairly easy. Um, like I wanted to, to include like a couple quotes from movies in the album and it's just near impossible to clear them. So I was like, am I going to be screwed with this song? But it honestly just really depends on, on who the rights holder is. And James Taylor was very chill. <laughs> a statement that who, who knew growing up, growing up, you'd be able to even say that and actually like understand, right. Know that he is genuinely chill. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty crazy. You mentioned Chelsea color. Are you guys working on a Brent too? Or is that just a one-time thing? Um, mm. I can't really say, I don't know when this is airing. Um, what? but she's actually coming to New York today. We're going to hang out. But Maybe work on Brent too. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's the answer we were looking for. I don't think we're going to get, get much more out of you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is it about, by the way, one of my big summer things that I was looking forward to was going to Red Rocks and seeing you yeah. all perform. I was pretty bummed. Um, cause I've never been to the venue, but I was going to go and see the show, mm-hmm. uh, but, but there's something special. There's a, a, an energy there, right? Between you and Chelsea and the whole crew, but you and Chelsea in specific, what is it? Do you know what it is? Can you put your finger on it? Um, I think, I mean, there's definitely something very special musically between us and just the way that we write songs together feels so natural and I think like we both sort of, especially with Brent, like we both sort of have, and this is just coming from me, I don't really know if she would say like, feel the same way, but I feel like we both have like fantasies about a slightly different kind of music that we wanna make, like just a more organic, um, like closer to home, like almost folky, type of genre and when we come together it just works that's like the style that works between us um so yeah it just it happens just so naturally and it like sort of satisfies my like urge to sort of strip things back and make things more simple and make them like wholesome sounding are you afraid to try new things like are you are you are you afraid of what people are going to say is it not going to work no i'm definitely not like afraid of what people think it's more, no, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm just so, I, I like hold myself to like really, really high standards, I think. 
to where I mean I try like random shit all the time like I never go into the studio and I'm like oh I'm gonna write a song like all the kids are depressed like I always am trying to do something completely new and completely different to to what I've done and what happens is like I have sort of an internal compromise where what I write ends up in between this crazy new and different weird thing and and in between that and something that I'm more familiar with which is just music that I've released in the past because that's what comes naturally to me so it's like a slow like inching towards more experimental but like remaining on the like closer to home side if that makes sense that that's but, a proper evolution yeah yeah and I feel like I'm not going to like jump in one direction and be like a completely different artist. Like it is, it's a constant evolving process and it's a journey that I'm exploring. And like, I, my goal as an artist is to like be able to introduce fans of my music to new sounds and new emotions and new feelings in music that they can then like add to their arsenal of like music that they like and vibes that they like, you know? I think I think Taylor Swift is the best at doing that. She just releases whatever she wants, whatever it sounds like, and her fans just love it all, and it's all different sounds every time. Yeah, I mean, Folklore was incredible. And I think, yeah, like, she's bringing all of her... She's, like, a lot of bubblegum pop fans that just, like, love her super poppy bright stuff, and now she has them listening to, like, this really indie, moody, like, folk project. But you know? they're all her, right? They're all derived from her <laughs> and who she is and... Yeah. Still very much her. Yeah. An evolution. Um, an evolution that's really based on the reality that you're living, which I think that makes real art, right? When people have the ability to kind of, I don't know, pull from their reality and create records that everybody shares a reality, you know, we're all the same. So all most of the emotions that you felt in love is not dying, I've gone through in my own life. So, you know, I was able to connect to it. I mean, as you grow as a person, keep the art true, man. Obviously, I, I this album is so good. It's just so good. Uh, we're it's fine. I believe that too. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, but why is a song or an element like still important to the overall album? It was. There's a couple of reasons. It's it, it's a really conceptually important song to the album for me. Um, if you're on Spotify and look at the. Um, what do they call the storylines? Like every song you can swipe down and see like a couple sentences that I've written about it. Um, I knew I wanted an album intro and that was sort of like a 40 second like crescendo. And just a lot of the things in that song are like, it like sort of sets up the stage for where it's fine. And that sort of sets up the stage for the rest of the album conceptually. Um, but yeah. I just, I love album intros. I feel like if you're going to sit down and like listen to an album front to back, an intro is super important to sort of like let you into that world. And, you know, it's not a song that people are going to like save and listen to on shuffle in their library. And like, that's not the point, you know, it's a 40 second like crescendo. <laughs> and it sets the mood. It, it, it starts the journey. Yeah. So obviously people should listen to this album. Love is not dying top to bottom. Are there any records from this album that really are connected to your life still today? Because I know they've been written a while ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of the most unique and standout tracks to me and the ones that are the most meaningful to me. Honestly, Oh Mexico is like one of my favorite songs I've ever done. 
um, but also full stop mm -hmm. is super important to me um, sonically and conceptually perfect it's fine and Julia I think those are like the ones that I'm holding really close to home these days will they stay that close forever 100% yeah I don't think there's a song in the album that like I will grow out of you tweeted something a little while ago about the album I mean oh you said came from a very specific life experience that I've only vaguely alluded to in interviews and such more on that in the future maybe what is that oh, wow. what is that okay here we go um yeah now's the time <laughs> so I was seeing this person that um just had a lot of issues with substance abuse and a lot of mental health issues and I sort of came into her life at a time where like she was doing very very well and um she was like almost a year sober and just like had turned her life around and I met her like during that time and I sort of just like fell into this relationship and um I'm trying like not to give away too many specifics because I don't want to like invade this person's privacy. But I basically what happened was I, like a month into the relationship, she relapsed and it turned into like a really difficult, toxic, like dependency, like almost codependent relationship. And I felt like I was sort of, she made me feel like I was there to like help her through it, even though like with addiction, like nobody can help that person, but that person, you know? Um, but anyways, so the situation sort of, the way it manifested into the album is I like literally just like didn't want her to die. And a lot of the music and the title of the album is really just like, if you love me, you won't die. And that's where love is not dying comes from. It's not about like, love is still alive. It's like, love to me is actually not dying. So don't die if you love me, if you say you love me. Um, so yeah. So let me break this down a little bit you form a brand new relationship with somebody you don't know while they're in a sober period. And after only knowing them for a month, they relapse. Yeah. And then they lean on you as a light to get out of it. Yeah. And, but you don't really know this person. So it's, they're leaning on me as much as I am sort of finding purpose and helping them and caring for them and being there for them. So you took on a lot of that stress. Yeah. A lot of the stress, but at the same time, like and responsibility. It, yeah. It, it taught me a lot about myself. Like I never really thought that I could care for someone in, in that way. And when I say care for it, like actually truly be there for someone. And I'd never felt like I was actually there for someone until, until that period in my life. 
Like I had never, I mean, I've obviously like cared about people and been there for people, but I've never like really been there in a time where someone like really needed me. And I think just looking back on it, I think that's what I was like really attracted to was like in that moment, just like feeling like I'm extremely important and like necessary in this person's life, you know? And at the end, that's sort of what like made it really difficult for me to be like, this is not this relationship and this whole thing is not serving me in any way. And in fact, it's actually like damaging a lot of parts of my life and I need to like remove myself from it. What was damaging about it? Constant fear of her like, like spiraling down and like ruining her life. Um, and also, I don't know, just like a lot of like manipulation and lies. And I was like, I found myself like just starting to like justify the way she was behaving. And as soon as I like realized that I was defending all things that she would do, I was like, "Uh oh, I'm like, I'm twisted up in this too. Like I'm not seeing things straight because of like how I've been manipulated and how this situation is making me feel. And I was just like, this isn't right. Like there are so many red flags I need to out of here <laughs> but it's hard to do especially if she's saying that like you're you're one of the reasons that are that's keeping her clean or whatever mm-hmm. that was part of it and honestly a big part of it was just i had like very deep feelings for her and it was making me feel like it was weird it was it, it was like yeah it was a sort of a fucked up period in my life because i w- was like that that's sort of like what we're f- it's fine is about um it's like i know this is gonna end horribly and i don't care because of the way it's making me feel right now that's like the the hallmark of a toxic relationship it's like totally it's like justifying everything that no matter how much the the bad things outweigh the good things justifying all of the bad things for the few good things and that's what like i was doing that and i was so aware of it and i was so okay with it until it like just really started taking a toll on my, on my mental health and like my life and my other relationships and yeah. On, on one hand, it teaches you and it shows you that you have the ability to step up when it really matters and to come through in a life or death situation. And when you're tested, you could rise. But like also like you're in the relationship because you felt vital. You felt like they needed you. Like you were the freaking wind beneath their wings, literally the air that entered their lungs. And yeah, and it wasn't like a selfish thing in the beginning. It was like, I was doing it because I felt like that was the right thing to do. Like a month into it, she relapsed and she was like, you don't have to like be here with me through this. Like if this scares you, you can leave. Like, But you didn't leave. Like, she's like, I know you didn't sign up for this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, like I'm like, if you need me, I'm here for you. And she And she needed me in that moment, you know? So yeah, it was really complicated how's she doing now i don't know i don't really care (laughs) wow you haven't spoken no but this album there's her energy flows through it a little bit definitely wow i I mean you learn a lot from those situations yeah you do i've definitely like it taught me a lot about myself and yeah i'm just very happy that i'm on the other side of it because this is so up. <laughs> You've grown. 
Yeah. Love is not dying. So, I mean, it must be a tough situation because you want to help someone, you want to make sure they're okay, but at the same time, you can't let that bring you down and, and kind of ruin your life. But you also don't want their life to be ruined. Yeah. And also, like, when they're, it's addiction is really tough. Like, because it's a disease, right? And it's a disorder. But it's one that, like, makes you consciously do horrible things. And so I'm trying to, like, separate. I'm like, okay, how much of this is her addiction and how much of this is her person? Because you don't even really know her. I don't even really know her. And I just, like, the more I look back on it, um, it's like, you know, she was for sure an addict, but, like, I don't know, she's just, like, really f***ed up. And I guess... You, you do kind of feel helpless in those situations because no matter how much you try to do, like you said, until they want to change and they want to get better, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's kind of up to them at some point. 100%. Yeah. And like, it just made me realize like how, I mean, I, w- I was only in her life because she liked the way that I made her feel, not because she like cared about the way I felt about things. And that became like super apparent at the end. And I was like, wow, this person was just lying to me the whole time. And then I found out like all these things that were just blatant lies. And even from the beginning, there were like little lies that I would notice. And I just like, I just don't with lying at all. Like if anybody I know lies about anything and I find out, even if it's like really small, it's just like a huge, it's just like, I like, I don't, lying is like bull. It's the most dishonest thing ever. And like, how are you going to be in any relationship, friendship, and like, have it be like based off of a foundation of lies? It's just not who I am. And it's not the kind of people that I surround myself with. By the way, I, I one, I wish we were in the same room having this conversation, but two, yeah. clearly a conversation that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I mean, you can't have any sort of relationship built and based around lies. And I can only imagine. I, I mean, I can only imagine what, what what really went on in this relationship and how it ended up working. Um, well, well, it didn't work. Didn't it, Obviously, it didn't work. Do you look back at it and wish you could do it differently, or are you happy with the way it went? No, I mean, I like, I did everything because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And no, I wouldn't change the way I handled anything. I don't think. Um, yeah. It was was wild. I'm just so glad that, like, I was able to just, like, remove myself because I could totally see that being, I don't know, there are just so many things about it. I can't even, I don't even want to go into it that much anymore because I don't want to, like, I don't know if, like, she'll find this somehow and, like, (laughs) get, like, super, I don't know. No, this is... Hey, this is a part of life and love and growing up and experiencing things. I mean, dude, addiction is a part of the way humans exist. It's something so many people face and people are addicted to things. And what somebody's addicted to can range, you know? I I mean, it's a very real issue. it's, It's sadly something that plagues more people than we, we, we probably could sit here and try to fathom. You know, um, it is so, so real. And uh, wow, 
I thank you for sharing that with us. Love is not dying and love is not dying. That's the truth. <laughs> I now have new meaning to the entire title yeah. of the album. Love is not dying. It is worth your ear. Final thoughts, Daniel Zola. No, I just think that you should do some ASMR channels and (laughs) read bedtime stories for people to listen to. I would love to. Uh, He has a beautiful voice. I know. It's so easy to listen to. It's very calming and soothing. I love this rasp and this, like these runs that you do that came out in Love Is Not Dying throughout the album, like this, this new vocal level I feel like I didn't get on Summer. Maybe I'm crazy, but it's... No, you're definitely, yeah. I, I like listen back to old voice memos of me riffing on my phone and my voice used to be like so, yeah, my voice has just changed a lot. I don't know if it's like better control in singing or if I'm just like trying out different things, but. Yeah, yeah. you sound hella confident and it fucking hits. Thank really. you. This is a, a thriving Jeremy Zucker, clearly in a better place and learning a lot. Love is not dying. Take that with you, friends. And uh, thanks for hanging out, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Zach. Thanks, Dan. Later. Sending you love, man. Guys, until next time. Bye. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.